The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Exodus 40 is where we'll finish up today in the book of Exodus. Uh, hard to believe. It's been kind of a marathon ending or a, or a whirlwind ending. Um, by the way, just time out on introduction. If any of you are chilly right now, the answer is to go get in that thing uh, and then change as quick as you can and run around and come in here. That, that'll fix it because you will be like, I'm, I'm burning up right now. So uh, forgive me. Uh, but um, it's been kind of a whirlwind. Um, in fact, it, it, as we walked through this book, coming to the end of another book, um, it, it caused me to think, and, and Lana kind of spurred me in this thinking this week, in the past seven years that I've been your pastor, uh, kind of what we've covered. Uh, in the past seven years, we have walked through uh, Nehemiah. Um, We've walked through Mark and Jonah. We've walked through James. We've walked through 1 Corinthians. And now we've walked through Exodus together verse by verse uh, in seven years. Now, I did the math on that. That's uh, just taking me just a little over a year per book. So if I'm going to preach through all 66 books as your pastor, um, that would be a total of 77 years. I was 35 when I came to be your pastor, which means I'll be 112 when we're finished, and so uh, if you can hang in there, I can, all right? Um, but uh, we've covered, uh, covered other things, various topics like uh, looking in-depth at salvation. We did a series called Saved. Uh, we've looked at the church uh, multiple times. We've looked at things like stewardship and, 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 uh, and, and what are deacons and, and uh, the, the Revelation churches in those first, uh, first few chapters of Revelation. We've done all, a lot of things in the past seven years, but there is not another Old Testament book that has a closer tie to the gospel as Exodus. In fact, the Exodus is the gospel of the Old Testament. If you were to look in the New Testament and you find Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, well, if you're looking for the equivalent in the Old Testament, it is the book of Exodus. And we have seen that. And today we will see it even in the closing few verses. So if you will, let's look at Exodus 40. I'm going to look at verses 34 through 38, and, uh, and then we'll close out this book together. So Exodus 40, beginning in verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and, glor- and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Today I want to show you from this text just three quick things about God and us. Uh, that we glean from this. Now, I want to remind you, I want to just give you a word of caution that we are not the, the Israelites of the Old Testament, but because of the grace of the gospel, we have been made the true Israel of God. And so there are some things here that apply to us, and I, I want to glean those and show those to you with the Lord's help today. First is this, that God is with us. God is indeed with us. Verse 34, the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Up until that point, the cloud had always been this distant reality. 
It had been there. They had seen God leading them through this manifestation of the glory of God that God in his grace had given them, but it had always been at a distance. It had led them from afar. They had seen back in chapter 13, verse 21, this this cloud, this pillar of cloud and pillar of fire that would lead them by day and night. And God was, was in that cloud. God was leading them. They had seen the cloud up on Mount Sinai as Moses went up the mountain to meet with God, but they were not near the cloud. Moses was there, but but they knew that God was meeting with Moses. In chapter 19, verse 9, the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. So God has given this cloud, but up until now it's been at a distance. But now... God came right down into the very middle of their camp. God fills the tabernacle. It's quite a change from the precarious position that we saw them in when we last met. When in Exodus 32, they had, had, had sort of coerced Aaron into making this golden calf. And God had said the following. In chapter 32, verse 10, told Moses, Let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you. God is at this point ready just to wipe them out and start all over. The way he did with Noah, he's ready to do that again with Moses. In chapter 32, verse 30, Moses said to the people, You've sinned a great sin. Now I will go up to the Lord and perhaps... I can make atonement for you. They don't know if if he's going to be successful in that. They only know that they are on the outs with God at this moment, and God wants to destroy them. They're banking on, they're hoping that Moses can somehow go and plead and intercede and be a mediator for them. In chapter 33, verses 3 through 4, God said, Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, and I will not go up among you lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. So they, they see that well, God's maybe going to continue, but he's not going with us. This, this is what led Moses to say, if you don't go with us, then I don't want to go. How else will we be distinct from all the other people? You've got to go with us, God. In chapter 33, verses 7 through 10, last time, Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. When all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. This is one of the consequences of them, their idolatry in constructing the golden calf, is that now Moses takes this little tent, he goes outside of the camp, and he pitches his tent out there, and God meets with him out there. So God has, has moved out. He's outside of the camp. He's not, not with his people. And this is the consequence here. And this is where they were last time. But now, the cloud of God's glory descends and doesn't just descend and cover the, the tabernacle, but it fills it. 
It, it, it envelops the tabernacle. This is quite the difference, and, and, and we're forced to ask the question, what made the difference? Why suddenly has God all of a sudden come back into the midst of his people in such a new and a glorious way, a way they haven't even experienced ever before? What made the difference? Well, I believe the difference, according to the text, is that he only descended when they displayed true repentance by completing the tabernacle exactly according to how he had specified we're told this over and over through these, this, this chapter in chapter 34. In, chapters, in chapter 34, verses, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 40, verses 16 through 33, eight different times the language is used there as the Lord commanded him. So as they're putting together this tabernacle, we saw in those early chapters the instructions given for the tabernacle. We see here in these late chapters them constructing and building the tabernacle. We see in between how they almost get sidetracked and, and, get, and fall completely out of God's grace in the, with the golden calf episode. But here in these last few chapters, they complete the tabernacle exactly according to God's plan, and then he descends. Eight different times there in those verses. Nine times if you count in verse 33, so Moses finished the work. They looked at what God said and they did it. They were obedient, perfectly obedient. This in itself displayed true repentance that they experienced as a result of the golden calf. Some look at this passage and they look at verse 34 and they see the little word that it starts with, then, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. And some look at that little word then, and they reduce this to a formula in order to manipulate God. They say, well, it was only when they got the tabernacle just right that God came down. Therefore, if we get everything right, if we get everything lined up just perfectly, if we figure out church exactly right, then God will be obligated to come down to us as well. There are all sorts of church growth models that have been posited and proclaimed for years now. The 80s and 90s, early 2000s, were filled with book after book after book about how to grow a church. I couldn't go to a, to a pastor's conference or to a convention or run into any pastor without hearing the one question. Well, how many are you running now? It, was, it, it, it propelled everything we did. We, we thought we could reduce this thing of church down to a gimmick. There were books written and there was money to be made. Still, in 2016, every week I come into my office and, and all through the week my mailbox, the one on the wall and my digital mailbox, the one that is on my computer, fills up every single week with somebody, some company, some organization that claims that they have figured out this church thing. And if I'll just spend my money with them and put into practice the things that they tell me to do, then, man, we will just blow the doors off this place. We, we, cannot, we cannot manipulate God. We, we can and we should obey God's instructions for the church. That's why multiple times we have done series teaching about the church because we, we believe that in our culture there's a lot of misunderstanding about what the church is and we want you to be rightly informed. 
And we, we should want to obey those things, but mark it down. Hear me clearly. Just because we strive to obey God, even with pure motives, wanting to glorify Him, just because we obey God does not obligate God to perform the way we think He should. You hear me? We cannot manipulate God. We can't twist God's arm. We can't manufacture His presence in a way that we think that's, that's adequate. That, that, would, that would work. There's nothing that we can do to twist God's arm into anything. God has said He will build His church and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, right? I believe that there's a couple of different ways that that should be meted out. I think it, it should be applied to the large church in general. The, the one church that, that we are a part of with others who also believe in, in the, the virgin birth of Jesus and the deity of Christ and that he died on the cross and was raised on the third day. All of us, God says, my church will be built. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. I think he also, though, I think God also has in mind the local church because how else can the Universal church be seen except for in these manifestations or gatherings called local churches. But that does not mean that God owes us anything here at Abner Creek. I came here to be your pastor seven years ago, and, and I, think, I think some had expectations of what it was going to be like. And when those expectations weren't met, people were disappointed. And some people have parted and gone other ways. And some people have stayed, and maybe even right now you wrestle and you say, boy, I thought by now we'd, we'd be bigger than this. Oh, I thought by now we'd be full. Oh, I thought by now we'd be having to talk about building on another, another wing. And maybe inside you wrestle with that. Let me, just, let me just hopefully take a load off of you. That's not my desperation. I'm not disappointed at all. Do I want to see people from our community come to know the Lord and come to, come to faith in Him and be baptized and be discipled and to do it here? Yes. I believe in what we're doing here. I believe in what we're preaching and I want the community to hear that. But I also know that unless God builds the house, those who build labor in vain. If you're disappointed with where we are I pray that you wouldn't be because I'm more encouraged than ever. I look around and I see people that sit in these seats every week who are growing in the Lord, who are growing in faith, who are taking steps of trusting God that they haven't ever in their lives. Be encouraged and let God grow the church and show up the way He defines that. Amen? If you look at this logic, this, um, you know, hey, if you figure this church out, if you, if you get this principle right, if you practice these things, these best practices, then the church will grow. Then God will show up. This logic misses a pretty important point. And that point is that God has already shown up. God is already with us. 
God has already come down and He's done so in an even greater glory than the tabernacle cloud. This is the point of the transfiguration when Peter is up on the mountain and Jesus there in Luke 9 is transfigured before him and he sees also Moses and Elijah. And Peter, who can't keep his mouth shut, always has to say something. Jesus, this is great. I think we should build tents, three of them. One for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And a voice from heaven, God says, this is my son. Listen to him. In other words, the glory that you saw in the Old Testament when I brought those people out was a great glory, but it pales in comparison to the one who came in flesh. He is the true tabernacle that has been filled with the person of God himself. John 1.14, the word became flesh and tabernacled or dwelt among us. We have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Colossians chapter 1, 19 and 20, For in Him, in Jesus, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile himself to, to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. We don't look for some descending work of God to all of a sudden come into this place and we walk out talking about what an incredible Sunday. It would be awesome if God moved among us in such a way that people were saved and repented of sin. Not saying that it wouldn't. But let us not miss the fact that Jesus has come. Not a mere man. Not a mere teacher. But God Himself God Himself left heaven, left the adoration of angels throughout all of eternity, had nothing to prove, had nothing to gain, laid aside, laid aside His glory to come to us. God has come in an even greater glory than the cloud that descended that day. God is with us. This past Friday night, my beautiful wife treated me to something that I've always wanted to do. Um, I grew up as a, I, I wasn't a country music fan. Um, I, was, I was obsessed. Uh, in fact, that obsession came home to me uh, a little bit while, when my mom posted on my Facebook page after I'd posted about this concert. Um, my mom commented and said, you remember the Reba days? She said, you remember the poster on your wall? And I thought, yeah, I was pretty sick. I, I, somebody should have intervened, like sat me down, like, this thing's got to end. Well, my wife treated me to this, this, uh, this concert, Garth Brooks. And uh, I, had, I had been to a lot of concerts growing up. I loved country music, but I had never got to see Garth Brooks. And we were sitting in, in section 222, row M, seats 3 and 4, which are not impressive because if you've ever been to the Bon Secours Wellness Arena, that's the nosebleed. If you look at my Facebook page and you see the picture of Lana and I, we, you can tell we are a long way from the stage. And that was a great concert, best concert I've ever been to in my life. Just rubbing that in. Don Moss, where are you? <laughs> anyway, we sat up there, section 222, row M, seats three and four, and I'm checking Facebook before the concert starts, and I see a friend of mine who says, somebody gave us second row floor seats, and she snaps a picture. And all of a sudden, I wanted there to be a dislike button, right? 
And I'm sitting there, and I, man, I enjoyed the concert and everything, and it was great. We walked out and, and uh, just, I mean, I sang to the top of my lungs. I'm convicted today thinking, man, I don't want to sing with more gusto at Garth Brooks than I do here for the, for the King of Glory. But I walked out, and I'm going home, and, and I look back on, on her Facebook page, this friend, and, and she's posted this picture, and literally you can see the lines in the denim of the jeans, you know, that Garth Brooks is wearing, all this kind of stuff. I mean, it's just so close up. And I looked at my picture, I looked at her picture, and here's the difference. The tabernacle glory, this cloud that descends on the tabernacle in the wilderness is like section 222, row M, seats 3 and 4. But when Jesus steps out of heaven, puts skin on, it's like down there, second row. This is what Jesus did. Jesus stepped out of glory and performed the concert of God's glory. Put Him on display for us. We couldn't see it any better. He Himself is God in the flesh. God is with us. Amen? Secondly, God is apart from us. God is apart from us. You say, wait a minute, I just thought you said He was with us. Well, look, God is apart from us. In verse 35, Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Why, all of a sudden, is Moses not permitted to meet with God? I mean, hadn't he been the one who had met with God on, 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 at the burning bush, on Mount Sinai, at the little tent outside the camp? Hadn't he been the designated one that could go in when no one else could? Why all of a sudden was Moses not allowed to go? I read commentaries to prepare for sermons, and sometimes I come across comments that I think, really? Come on, man. You know, this is just some things out there. And, and one commentator said, the reason Moses could not go into the tabernacle is because God had, had really moved in, and he compared it to when a builder finishes a house and turns over the keys to the the, the uh, that the homeowner, he's going to move in and take up residence. That, that builder no longer has access. He can't just come over anytime he wants. He doesn't keep a set of keys and come in and see what's in the fridge. He turns over those keys. And, he, and he, this commentator said, this is kind of what it was like. Moses was the builder. God moved in, so Moses had to turn over the keys. <laughs> and I'm thinking, really? That's the best we can do? Like, like God's stingy with his stuff all of a sudden. God's hiding stuff in the fridge and all that. Doesn't want Moses to come in and see it. I, I think there's something bigger here. I think this points to the fact that Moses, while he was a mediator, while he was wonderful to intercede for the Israelites when they committed idolatry with the golden calf, the point of this is Moses is still an imperfect mediator because Moses is still a sinful man. Now, God would make provision for the high priest to be able to later come in and all of that, but he's pointing to the fact here that Moses, I'm so holy, you can't come in. You can't be in my presence. You are imperfect. You are a sinner you need another mediator. There was a mediator that still needed to come. God protected Moses by not allowing him to come in. This is grace. 
He stops Moses before he can ever get in and says, Moses, you, you can't come in. You come in, and Moses, it will not turn out good for you. This is why later on in Leviticus 16, verse 2, the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, the high priest, tell Aaron, your, your brother not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. This happened right after Aaron's sons had, had gotten intoxicated and offered strange fire on the altar. And God killed them. God says to Moses, he says to Aaron, he says to everyone, there's not any of you that could mediate, could represent God to humanity or represent humanity to God. You're imperfect. You're, you're tainted with sin. God is holy and He can have no contact with anything or anyone who is unholy. And that's all of us. This leaves all of us hopeless. We, we can't approach God. We can't come near His presence. And, and some would say, ignorant of, of what the rest of the Bible teaches, they would say, so what's the big deal? I'll just stay away then. I mean, I don't have to go to God. The reality is there's coming a day when you do have to go to God. There will be a day of judgment. And so whether you want to come before Him now or not, doesn't matter. You will stand before Him one day. And so this is a problem. If God is so holy that He cannot come into contact with anything unholy without destroying it, and you're unholy and you have a prearranged date to stand before Him, what's your solution? This is what's being pointed to here. By denying Moses access, God showed the need for another mediator. Lest the people, I thought about this as I was reading this and thinking, what, what were the people thinking? All of a sudden, now Moses can't go in? I mean, all, God moved his little tent out, outside the camp and, and now, now Moses can't go in? Man, we have no hope whatsoever. I think this was for them as well, lest the people esteem Moses too highly. They had to see that he was an imperfect mediator. Esteeming our leaders has always been a danger. If we esteem them too highly, we're, we're, we're bound for disappointment. Peter, as I already said, wanted to build tents for Moses and Elijah. The Catholic Church, if you look into extra outside of biblical history, if you look into the history of the church, the Roman Catholic Church has too highly esteemed the Pope, believing that he is a, a, a one in a long line of succession of bishops from Peter himself. And therefore, the, he holds the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and he gets to say... and who's in and who's out. And, and he gets to speak, and it's the voice of God, and we should take that on the same level as we take the canon of Scripture. They esteem him too highly. 38 years ago this week, more than 900 members of the People's Temple, uh, led by cult leader Jim Jones, committed mass suicide when he convinced them to drink the Kool-Aid. Some of you will remember that. They esteemed a leader too highly. When we esteem a leader too highly, we are headed for disappointment. 
Any man, any woman that you put on too high of a pedestal will eventually disappoint you. Your pastor, believe me, will disappoint you. Your spouse will disappoint you. Your children will disappoint you. Your parents will disappoint you. Your boss will disappoint you. Your coworkers will disappoint you. Your president, your senators, your congressmen will disappoint you. You know why? Because they're not God. They were never meant to be God. They were never meant to fill that space in your life. Look up to people, but do it in reason. And I'm sitting there watching Garth Brooks the other night, and I'm thinking, man, I still live, but he kind of wants to be Garth Brooks, you know. I couldn't, you know, I, I could put on that hat. I could climb around on that thing that circles up the drum cage. <laughs> For one night, I probably could. I'd be sore the next day. Wouldn't be able to do two and three concerts in a row. But, hey, I could do that. Look up to people. Admire people. Learn from people. But don't make God out of people. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, and that man is Christ Jesus. No one, no one can do the job that, that Jesus has done in coming between us, representing God to us, and representing us to God. He alone is our mediator. He is apart from us. He is holy. Third is this. God is for us. God is for us in verses 36 through 38, and this is where I'll finish. Throughout all their journeys, whatever the cloud was taken up over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would, would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, they didn't set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, the fire was in it by night. In the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. We see in these verses today, 34 through 38, we see that Moses couldn't go in, the people couldn't go out, but God's mission would go on. What an incredibly comfortable image this is, that God is for them. This is what is known as the Shekinah glory cloud of God. That it would, it would hover there when they were supposed to stay and it would lift when they were supposed to go. By it, God reaffirmed his commitment to lead them all the way to the promised land. He didn't bring them out into the wilderness to leave them. He was going to stay committed to his promise. And somewhat humorously, I think, God looks down at what he called a stiff-necked people last time. And it's almost as if God says, bless their heart. i got to dumb this down for them. I, I knew a girl in high school that, bless her heart, right? She took several minutes to get through an intersection one time because it was a flashing red light. She would go, stop. Go, stop. Go, stop. And this is kind of the picture that I see here of what God is doing with Israel. I must dumb this down. I must. It, clouds there, stay. Cloud lifts, go. I mean, who in the camp can't figure that out, right? 
Now, this is just, hey, I'm, no commentator said that. So if, if I'm writing a commentary, somebody's reading that going, really? Come on, man. Right? This is all on me. But that's just kind of the way I see it. Just as God's presence would lead them all the way to the promised land, you and I need to know that God's presence is with us to lead us all the way to the promised land of heaven as well. In a greater way, God dwells in every believer. In a greater way, God dwells in every believer to lead them all the way to heaven. Jesus is the true and the better Moses who delivers his people from the bondage of their sin. Put yourself in the picture, in the story, and see what happened to the Israelites there in captivity in Egypt for over 400 years. Multiple generations couldn't get out. And how God rescued them. And extrapolate that to the fact that Jesus comes, saves you from your sin to lead you out of the bondage that is your sin. And some of you right now are discouraged and you think, boy, I'm never going to get victory over this. And I struggle with this for so long. What's wrong with me? Draw courage from the fact that God says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I'm taking you all the way to the promised land. Those whom God glorified, justified, he will also glorify. It's it's going to happen. The Holy Spirit lives in every believer to lead them through the wilderness of this life to the promised land that is heaven. In this life, you and I are not alone. Joshua 1.9 Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Some of you need to hear this right now because you are in a dark, low spot. God's with you. God will see you through it. Listen to how the Israelites followed the Shekinah glory cloud of God. I'm just going to read through this. I'll say a couple more things. I'm done. I promise. In, chapter, in Numbers chapter nine, verses fifteen through twenty-three, on the day that the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony. And at evening, it was over the tabernacle like the appearance of fire until morning. So it was always that the cloud covered it by day and appearance of fire by night. And whenever the cloud lifted from over the tent, after that the people of Israel set out and in the place where the cloud settled down, there the people of Israel camped. At the command of the Lord, the people of Israel set out and at the command of the Lord, they camped. As long as the cloud rested over the tabernacle, they remained in the camp. Even when the charge of the Lord and um, even, even... Even when the cloud continued over the tabernacle many days, the people of Israel kept, um, sorry, I'm losing my place, kept the charge of the Lord and did not set out. Sometimes the cloud was a few days over the tabernacle. According to the command of the Lord, they remained in camp. Then according to the command of the Lord, they set out. Sometimes the cloud remained from evening until morning. When the cloud lifted in the morning, they set out. Or if it continued for a day and a night, when the cloud lifted, they set out. Whenever Uh, Whether it was two days or a month or a longer time that the cloud continued over the tabernacle abiding there, the people of Israel remained in camp and did not set out. But when it lifted, they set out. 
You say, now, isn't that just saying exactly what you've already said, Pastor? Why would you take time to read that to us? Because it slows it down for us, and it helps us to understand that these were real people, and it helps us to, to in some way, experience on a very small scale what they experienced. And imagine, when they went to bed at night, they, they didn't know, are we, are we moving in the morning? Are we here another day? They didn't, they didn't know. When, when they started traveling again, they didn't know how long they were walking. Are we, are we going to stop soon? Are we going to keep going a while? They don't know. They just have to wait and watch and follow. And my question to you today, is that the way you follow God? Now, we don't have this cloud that lifts and goes. The reality is God would look at us and say, bless their heart too, right? But we have the Spirit of God that lives inside of us who says, go here. Stay right here. Wait on me. Are you following God with that intensity? This was a lesson in trusting God day by day. Too often we grow impatient. We want to, to know what to expect. We've got to have a plan. And perhaps right now, you're in the middle of a situation that God's not really moving fast enough for you. You, you, you want the situation to be over soon, but God doesn't give you a timeline. Sometimes people will come and they'll sit in my office and, and, and want counsel. And I just don't know how long this is going to last. I, I wish God would do something. And the reality is I can't do anything in that point to give them the answer they want. They want me to say, oh, guess what? I, I was talking to God this morning. He said next week. I can't do that. God doesn't give us this timeline. God says, trust me. Wait on me. Perhaps you're ready for a new start and God doesn't seem to be in a hurry. We could learn a lot from the way that God led the Israelites in the wilderness. He's promised to lead them all the way home. He's promised to lead them all the way home, all the way to the promised land, and He will. And guess what? Hear me. God has promised the same thing to us. Look at me. God has promised the same thing to us, and he will. He will take us all the way to heaven. Until then, God says, trust me. That's why Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 through 23 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies, they never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. God is with us. God is apart from us. And God is for us. And that's the message of Exodus. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we love you. And God, I thank you that you have loved us so much. Lord, that you have stuck to your word that you promised in the beginning, God. When we didn't deserve it, God, we deserved Death and hell, and Lord, you promised to one day send a Redeemer. And God, you did that. 
In, in the fullness of time, when the time was made right, Jesus came as a baby, grew up, became a man, lived a perfectly obedient life, and went to a cross so that those who would believe in him could have their sins forgiven, their punishment paid, his righteousness put in their account. God, I also thank you that you are faithful and that you will indeed see us all the way through to the promised land. God, for the person who is here today and is struggling to believe, who is struggling to trust you, God, I pray, Lord, that you would give them the grace to believe. Lord, give them faith. Grant that to them, God, I pray. Lord, for the person who's here and does not know you as their Savior and is wondering if they could be forgiven, God, I pray today that you would grant repentance to them. Lord, do this not for my sake, not for the sake of Abner Creek, but God, do this for your own name. God, glorify yourself by building your church, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to give you the opportunity to respond. Perhaps you've heard something today and it's caused you to think and maybe you just need some moments to continue to process and think through that. Maybe there's particularly something that God has said, this is what I need you to believe. And today, you just need right where you are just to commit yourself. Just pray with God and say, God, I want to believe that. Lord, help me to believe. Perhaps you're here and there's something that you're really struggling with. There's some trust issue that's just really weighing on you. And you need someone to talk to and someone to kind of share that burden with you. I'll be glad to talk with you. I'll be here at the front. There will be people in a prayer room out these doors to my right, to your left. They would love to have prayer with you, to hear you. They're not there to counsel you or to fix your problems, but they are there to help shoulder the load with you and to take it before the throne of God. If you're here today and you don't know him as Savior, then today you can repent of your sins and believe and have your sins washed away by the perfect work of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. So whatever it is that the Lord leads you to today, do not harden your heart by refusing to step forward. But instead, say, yes, God, whatever you want, God, yes, God, today. Let's worship him as we respond. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.